everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> okay, Dave, today we're going to chat about uh, a question that we get a lot on which antimicrobial is the best one to use. And so obviously there's different issues that different people will be facing. It could be SIBO, it could be candida, it could be parasites, it could be H. pylori. And using the same herbal might not be best um, for all of those things. So maybe it's best to actually target something or tailor a herbal protocol based on specifically what form of dysbiosis our person is dealing with. So we're going to um, demystify that a little bit today. We're going to talk about what our favorite uh, options are and our favorite antimicrobials are for each specific issue. Uh, and let's jump in. Which one do you want to start with, Dave? I think it's probably really important for the listeners to to maybe just comprehend where we're coming from and in terms of like the approach that we like to use as well. Yep. So when we use antimicrobials, we're not just looking at obviously their, their ability to break down the bacteria cell because obviously that's really important. But also what are the other multifaceted benefits that you're actually getting from that compound as well? Yeah. I think that's really important to understand. Yeah. And also when, if, if you did something like a stool test, because obviously, you know, when you use like private labs and independent labs, they do like, like a sensitivity testing. Okay. And so they sit there and they test what antibiotics are going to work against that particular bacteria strain or yeast and candida, whatever that might be. And they also test what antimicrobials, which is obviously herbal base, are also going to work against those bacteria strains as well. And, you know, I think it's important for people to understand is that from my experience, and I'm sure it's the same with you, is that, yes, like antibiotics can work against particular strains. I'm not taking away from that. And they might test maybe anywhere up to about, you know, 10 different antibiotics. And obviously they're going to test antifungals like nystatin and these things as well. But most people's bacterial issues are very multi-layer, okay? Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that, they don't just have candida and yeast, okay? But they're also going to have negative gram bacteria and they might mm -hmm. have a parasite with that. So you generally got to use something that's going to cover all these bases and the antibiotic might be very good for that particular negative gram bacteria strain, but then it just doesn't work against this particular candida or yeast strain. And then it might be something else that's going to work against the yeast and candida strain. So then you've got to use some antifungal or some other medication. And then yeah. you end up using like a whole heap of different antibiotics and antifungals. And there's going to be a lot more collateral damage with that. And it tends to be a little bit more black and white as well. And what I mean by that, either the antibiotics are either going to work or they're not. Yeah. At least with like antimicrobials, they might have 20% effectiveness or 40% or 60% or 80% or whatever that might be, but it doesn't mean they don't work against it. They work to some degree and there might be something that's just a little bit more effective. Yeah. That's a good point because ultimately if someone's using an antibiotic, it's a particular one specific compound in that antibiotic, which is working against that bacteria. But if someone's taking aged garlic or they're taking berberine or they're taking whatever herbal antimicrobial is, it could be up to a dozen different antimicrobial um, compounds within that one ingredient. So even if one of those compounds maybe is not as effective against one organism, there might be something else in there which is effective against that organism, which is partly why people would say that a lot of these compounds are so hard for bacteria and for yeast to develop like a resistance against, isn't it? 
Yeah, and that's the thing. Like antibiotic resistance, I always say this, and I know you're the same. Antibiotic resistance is one of the biggest problems facing the medical industry mm-hmm. currently. And, and obviously, you know, a big factor behind that is biofilm. Okay, so if you can actually use an antimicrobial that also is effective against biofilm, yeah. well, you're covering a lot more bases. And so the biofilm, for people who don't know, I mean, we, we have talked about this previously, the biofilm is like a protective mucilage and it's like an adaptation process for the bacteria because the bacteria get together in these tribes and it forms this biofilm and it's made up of like GAL3 and proteins and ions and fluids and heavy metals like lead and mercury and cadmium and iron. And what antibiotics are not very effective at doing they might be effective at at actually breaking down newly formed biofilm Mm -hmm. but they're not very good at breaking down you know established biofilm yeah and most of the time you know what we're dealing with people have very established biofilm so it's very very hard to break that down but some of these antimicrobials that we're probably going to talk about they can be effective against that biofilm so they can actually start to penetrate through that biofilm now i'm not saying they're the most effective Okay, but at least they're making some inroads into that. And then the issue with antibiotics is that a lot of the a lot of the bacteria strains are adapting to it. Mm. So you're dealing with antibiotic resistance, and especially negative gram bacteria. And I'm sure you agree with me on this, Jake. Negative gram bacteria is just a it's just a growing problem. And mm. if we actually see a lot of the health issues that are associated with LPS, like lipopolysaccharides, I mean that's just growing. And they tend to be antibiotic resistant. That's what people need to understand so just they're just more resilient they're just more you know their cell structure is very resistant to things that are breaking it down and and antibiotics i'm not saying they're not effective at all but they're they're generally not working as well as they once did that's for sure yeah so there's a few issues there so not only is there that issue of of resistance which you just mentioned but there's also the issue you touched on with biofilm where the antibiotic actually isn't that effective necessarily at penetrating the biofilm that's not really the the, the purpose of the way that the antibiotics designed, it's meant to get sort of free floating organisms or bacteria that's sort of isolated as, as opposed to this colony. So there's a couple of shortcomings there. And, you know, a lot of the time people probably assume that antibiotics are, are the most potent option and they assume, well, you know, if I've got a parasite or I've got, you know, X, Y, Z issue, well, you know, maybe there's more collateral damage, but clearly it's going to be the most effective option to do antibiotic therapy. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. Like you and I are both getting clients who've done triple therapy for, you know, H. pylori. They've done antibiotics for, for parasites, blastocystis, hominis, whatever. And typically they, they come to us, they've done one course or they've done two courses and obviously it's not worked. You know, they've retested, they've still got the organism, they've still got the symptoms, and then they're turning to the herbal approach after the antibiotics have failed them. So it's not even the fact that they're more potent and, and you know, have some of these limitations, but they're actually not even working a lot of the time either. So, Dave, I think a good way to picture this is a little bit like a Venn diagram. You know, we've talked about this, you know, different issues, H. pylori and candida and SIBO and parasites. And, and you said that ultimately what we want to do is identify compounds which are going to be effective against multiple different issues. And so the way I would look at it is, you know, if you imagine a Venn diagram, you know, if someone's got, say, symptoms of both, uh, say, SIBO and candida, well, there's going to be some herbal antimicrobials which are going to be really effective against candida. There's going to be some which are very effective against SIBO. And then there's going to be some which are good against both. And so our job is we want to identify, well, what are the ones that are good against all the issues we think that person's facing and find that sweet spot? So let's do that. Let's talk, let's start with SIBO because that's what probably the, the one that's sort of talked about most. Um, and then we can kind of identify which SIBO antimicrobials would then be effective elsewhere as well. Um, 
we're probably actually we're going to disagree a little bit i think on, on some of these as well i think oh, like a lot of these we we use fairly similar but i think it's probably going to be a little bit different as well so it'll be fun to sort of see where we differ as we go along um but do you want to start us off with SIBO? where do you yeah i think SIBO is a great one because it's such it's such a mishmash SIBO. i yeah. mean obviously it can be the bacteria that you normally find in your mouth it's obviously you can be made up of a lot of commensal bacteria a lot of that bacteria can be positive gram bacteria can be non-pathogenic, pathogenic. Yeah. And then it obviously can be a lot of negative gram bacteria. And it can be the bacteria that you find in your colon, your large intestine. And this is what I think makes, you know, SIBO very interesting. Yeah. And, and if, if you're actually looking at something that's got a very well-established biofilm, mm. it's definitely SIBO. Mm. Okay. So it, it's, it's extremely, you know, you would say it's extremely robust and it's very, very hard to get rid of. And yeah. the reason it's also hard to get rid of is because of a lot of those structures that actually help to keep the, the SIBO at bay they're also broken as well. And that's why a lot of people obviously get relapsed. And obviously that's a conversation for another time. But, you know, if you look at the research, maybe let's look at a little bit of the research and research would be very supportive because we've got to say here, like antibiotics, they do create Herxheim reactions. They do create die off and they break down the bacteria cell. Yep. So they've got an antimicrobial effect. Yeah. Okay. If you actually look at research and obviously this research was, you know, a while ago, but they actually found that the combination of antibiotics of neomycin and rifaximin had something in the realms of about 90 to 95% effectiveness. Mm-hmm. But I think you covered this and, and, and maybe you can jump in here, but they actually found that there was also a relatively high amount of relapse with yeah. this as well. Yeah. I think I it's do remember 40, what the percentage about 40%, 40% I believe. Yeah. yeah. Which is relatively high. So, so yes, we can say it's effective, but really for, for us, effective is only, is only going to really be gauged by that you don't get it again, Yeah, ultimately. And so then the, the whole thing, because, because SIBO is a bit of a mishmash, well, you would say more of a broad spectrum approach could be quite effective here. And so what I mean by that is using a whole array of different types of antimicrobials. Mm. So blends basically, and that might be things like yarrow and oregano and powdiaco and and that's where these blends really came into the fore and examples of this would be like fc cedal biobiotics research and dysbiocide i mean obviously these things are pretty hard to get nowadays okay yeah. but the reason i'm bringing them up because i actually found that the effectiveness of these was almost quite close to the mm-hmm. antibiotics so mm-hmm. getting in the realms i think about 85 to 90 percent effectiveness and once again if we're going to look at it and we go well there's less collateral damage with these these antimicrobials the herbal base well if if there's quite a high effectiveness there then we're probably going to go for those over using the neomycin and rifaximin where there is going to be a bit of collateral damage and obviously you know you're going to affect your your beneficial microbiome ratios and so forth and once again, this is just based on what I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to jump in here. I don't know how effective that these, these broad spectrum supplements are. And, and, and the one reason that I, I think they might not be as effective is because maybe the potency is not there. Yeah. And even though if you look at it from an effectiveness perspective, based on research and so forth, you know, Berberine and Allison, which they say might have a, a name plus um, have an effectiveness of about 50%, which obviously from a percentage perspective doesn't sound too too, uh, too fantastic. But I'm actually finding that I'm actually getting better results mm-hmm. with these particular antimicrobials. And I'm sure you probably agree with this to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. I don't use those blends. I haven't used them for a year, two years. Um, yeah, I do 
and there's some blends of, you know I might still use and I know there's some that you still use but like you said the those pr- proprietary blends where you just don't know how much is actually in it I'd much prefer you use something like an oregano oil or or you know, allicin or something where we can know exactly how much we're dosing exactly because it's just because these things are so stubborn and the reality is they're just getting more stubborn mm. so if the potency is not there it's just going to be really hard to 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 break down these bacteria cells yeah and at least if, if I take something like a berberine and, you know, maybe we'll just talk about that a little bit, at mm. least I'm getting, it comes down to what I talked about right at the start because it's multifaceted. Yeah. Okay. So if the person's got like blood sugar management issues, well, they call like berberine, like nature's metformin. Yeah. So it actually helps with the glute four transporter. So it actually helps to transport glucose in the cell for energy. And it actually helps with AMPK, which is adenosine monophosphate protein kinase. And that's like fat mobilization. That's energy. So you're yep. getting benefits there. And the interesting thing, uh, I actually have, I forgot to tell you this, but I actually read in some literature where they actually said that berberine might actually help to decrease like pro-inflammatory cytokines that would actually be responsible for creating more epithelial permeability and actually uh, creating more complications with the intracellular type junction. So leading to more things like uh, intestinal permeability mm. and hyperpermeability within the gut lining. So mm. it's even got some protective mechanisms around that. And then also, and we know this, is that berberine's got effectiveness against candida and yeast mm. as well. And actually, you know, it's, it's, it's been found that it's very hard for candida and yeast to adapt to berberine, where a lot of obviously these yeast strains and candida and bacteria, they can adapt to things like antibiotics. And obviously they can adapt to antimicrobials and herbals as well, but it's very hard for the yeast mm. and candida to adapt to something like, like berberine. Yeah, yeah. So berberine is one that we would both use as SIBO. Um, it is very broad spectrum, like you just said, and so it is going to be effective against yeast as well. So it's it's one, and even parasites, we will talk about that anyway, but it's one that you can effectively use it against just about anything. And if someone does have any metabolic issues or blood sugar issues, it just makes sense as well. So that's one, I know for me, it's a staple. I use it in probably half of my antimicrobial protocols at least because it just has so many benefits. Um, you also mentioned oregano oil and you mentioned, but I guess one of the, sorry to interrupt mate, but I guess one of the points that I was sort of bringing up, but it sort of doesn't necessarily stack up according to the research. Yeah. Well, just from my, I think there's probably a little bit more, I think Pimentel maybe has released some stuff in the last couple of years using, I, I believe he uses berberine, oregano, um, and, and obviously Allison for, for particular types of SIBO, but I think there might be a little bit more research coming out on it. But like you said, you know, it typically was those blends which which seemed to perform better, wasn't it? Yeah, well, based on the research, but what I've definitely, you know, changed my, you know, the the technique that I use for something yeah. like SIBO because I just am just generally finding like berberine. The other one is Allison, which is aged garlic. And, and really, you need quite high strength. I mean, it's called Alisur and that's uh, like Alamed. Like, um, so it's got to be a really good quality. And- so Alice Shaw is, is a patented form of Alicen, Alicen yep. being the active compound in aged garlic. Correct. Yeah. And it's really like, obviously that is a lot more potent. Yeah. Okay. And once again, it's why Alicen is so good because it, it just tackles so many realms. Mm-hmm. Like it's, well, actually, and I'm sure you probably know this, but there's, there's evidence to show it's very, very effective against something like H. pylori. Mm. Um, so they've actually uh, shown that it helps with like uh, like gastric ulcers as well. So there's benefits within the within the stomach lining. 
And the other thing is if you get someone who's got like, you know, maybe higher cardiovascular risk, you know, cardiovascular issues, uh, issues with like very, and we've obviously talked about this in, a, in another podcast, like issues with like elevation in LDL particles, yeah. LDL cholesterol. Once again, doesn't mean these things are the devil. Okay. You know, fasting triglycerides. Okay. So people with metabolic syndrome, these types of yeah. things. Well, Allison would be one of my go-tos for that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because it's so good for lowering LDL particles and, and, and fasting triglycerides. It's actually amazing for that. It's actually yep. really well documented. Yeah. And also from my experience, okay, it's, it's highly effective against SIBO. And I think there's even some some benefits there around even some like candida and yeast as well. Yeah. So, but once again, we're just getting into something that yes, we can use against the SIBO, but it's also going to cover some some other bases as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just that you know I think the big thing that we want to get across in this podcast is just multifacet, multifacet. Like, why yeah. would I go for something that's just like the only thing the antibiotics are going to do is break down the bacteria cell. They're probably not going to penetrate through the biofilm. Yeah. Okay. They break down the bacteria cell. That's it. Okay, and there's going to be some collateral damage. They're going to break down some of my beneficial flora, which you're going to have to try to reestablish that anyway. Mm, yeah, and I think something that that isn't really thought about maybe is the fact, like, because you've just said there, both Allison and Berberine, and we'll talk about oregano oil next, but each of those are very effective against yeast and candida as well. And I know there was one study that showed about 26% of people with SIBO also had SIFO, had some form of fungal overgrowth as well. And so even though maybe some of these studies on, on SIBO are saying, well, berberine by itself or oregano oil by itself may not be as effective as antibiotics or may not as be as effective as some other interventions, I, I think we can't shortchange the fact that they're still having this, this broad spectrum action and could be also rebalancing other aspects of, that maybe we're, we're sort of overlooking as well. Like you said, it's not just going to be SIBO, but the same thing that allows someone to have a bacterial overgrowth is the same thing that's going to allow any other opportunistic organism to grow as well. So, of course, there's likely to be candida issues or fungal issues or parasite issues or, or other things as well. So it makes sense that something that's a little bit more broad spectrum in the way it acts is probably going to yield better results. Yeah. Did you did you want to talk about like oregano oil? I think, I, I, I think we should. Is that something you use in the SIBO protocol or something I use look, fairly regularly? Look, I'd say I'd say the big three that I sort of use currently, and and there's you know it always can change. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The sort of the big three that I that I would use would be berberine, allicin, and I'd, I'd probably use neem, which is a herbal herbal blend as well. Yeah. Um, and I use those those three together. But also, you know, there's things that are a little bit more broad spectrum that I might use. Once again, according to the individual and something um, like candida support, like some sort of candida support, which generally has like oregano oil powder, it's got caprylic acid in there, it's got black walnut, it's got powder yarko. I mean, they I mean, a lot of those things are quite broad spectrum. So yeah. that's definitely anything that's broad spectrum, they've actually found, I think there was a study that they did in 2014, even with something like sweet wormwood, which is a little bit more, you know, uh, regarded around uh, protozoa parasites, mm. but they actually found that that was actually highly effective against SIBO. And that's mm. why you're actually getting a lot of these blends and they actually contain things like sweet wormwood. So, mm. so anything that's probably a little bit, more broad and adding it to something like the berberine, the allicin could be a good combination as well. Yeah. Yeah. So having one or two that you're dosing or two or so that you're dosing highly and then having that blend or that broad spectrum blend. Almost like a, you would say like a mop-up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to use something very similar. So I, I, I tend to use the berberine 
The allicin I tend to use more if someone's constipated. So if I suspect more methane or M. smithii, then I'll use the allicin. Um, if, if someone's more like diarrhea based, I tend not to use it as much unless I suspect yeast. And then the neem and the oregano oil, I sort of interchange between those two. And, and I guess they're pretty similar in, in, in sort of their action. And I saw one study on neem where they tested against, I think it was like 27 fungal organisms. They tested it against and it was effective against like 24 of them or something. So it's quite good again, against both bacteria and, and yeast and, and fungus. Um, what I do like about the oregano oils, I believe it's got some some biofilm properties to it as well, anti-biofilm properties, which I'm not sure the other ones do. But obviously, and like some, like you know, oregano oil is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, because like I'm not taking away from obviously there's a lot of studies to support how effective it is, and mm. it's it's very broad spectrum. Mm. So there's no doubt that it can work against even like parasites, like protozoan yeah. parasites, like Blastocystis hominis and Guardia and Dentamoeba fragilis. I'm not taking away from that, and even like CFO. It's yep. actually been very documented in terms of how effective it can be with that. So obviously small intestinal fungal overgrowth and even things like SIBO. So it is, it is very broad. The, the thing that I've actually found like dealing with a lot of sensitivity testing is yep. it seems to be one of those antimicrobials that bacteria can build up a resistance to. At it. Like, and I don't necessarily see that with a lot of the other antimicrobials, mm-hmm. but I do tend to see that a little bit more frequently with something like oregano or so something mm-hmm. to just bear in mind that it does tend to be one of the more herbal based ones that bacteria can build up a resistance to. Mm-hmm. That's okay. just from my findings. I'm not, you know, I don't have research papers necessarily to back that up, but because of that, it's, it, it would be one of those ones that I just don't use all the time because I do tend to find there's some other ones that give you a little bit more bang for your buck. Yeah. 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 I think that's fair. I, I probably use it more if I suspect SIBO and I question whether maybe there could be parasites there as well. Um, uh, same deal as you, I have noticed that a lot of the time it is coming up relatively low on the sensitivity testing and especially clients who have used it in the past, I, I tend to see it come up low, like what you've just said there. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people can sort of just like micro dose it and just yeah. like use it for, you know, they're not really doing any type of gut protocol. Yeah. They don't even really know what they're trying to kill off and they're just using it on a daily basis. And, you know, I'm not really for that, yeah. um, you know, really understand what you've got going on and then, you know, use the, the, the best antimicrobial according to that. Don't just like daily dose like oregano yeah. or every single day and some people are doing that for like months and months and months yeah. and months you got to you got to bear in mind you have to be you know careful with some of these antimicrobials that we're talking about and you should you know really not try to go like prolonged periods of taking them yeah um, you know it's it's for a particular time frame and also to bear in mind like everything that we're saying here is that we always support it with you know some sort of biofilm disruptor yeah. whether that's nac you know enzymes like lysozymes um, protease, amylase, lipase, natokinase, and also potentially something that stops the reformation of the biofilm, like something like modified citrus pectin. So I just want to throw that in there as well. Mm. Yeah. And and one last thing to say with oregano oil is I have moved a little bit away from it because I've noticed, and again, this is just my experience, but people who have more um, maybe prone to like gastritis or upset stomachs, I've noticed they tend to be quite sensitive to oregano oil. And it can just irritate the stomach quite a lot. And I've not seen that in literature, but it's just something I've seen in too many clients. So I, I tend not to use it if I fear that someone's got a bit more like inflamed stomach going on. Yep. So do we want to cover, maybe go from SIBO, go straight into negative gram bacteria? Yeah. Or do we want to do yeast? Because we've just covered about half the ones we would use for yeast. 
we'll go with the yeast. Yeah, because because we've said the garlic and we said the berberine and we said the oregano yeah. oil and we said the neem. Now I know for me at least. There's only a couple more I would add onto that list. So, like one of the other ones I would use, and, and I, I got this off you. I know you're big on it. Would be colloidal silver. So, do you want to tell us about silver? Yeah, I think colloidal silver is like it almost put like a few antimicrobials into almost like their own category, and colloidal mm-hmm. silver is one of them. And what I would call this category is like safeguard. Yeah, and colloidal silver is in there. Like it just it it just works in so many different ways. I think the big thing with colloidal silver that I love is that it actually it enters the DNA of the bacteria. And I, I know this is going to sound a bit confusing, but bear with me here. So it enters the DNA of the bacteria and it actually stops the thing called cellular replication. Now, what the hell does that mean? Well, it actually stops the bacteria from proliferating. So it, it, it like, and there's not a lot of antimicrobials that do that. And that's why mm-hmm. colloidal silver is so amazing. So it stops is things like- Is that what does? Well, it's interesting with like myrrh, like which is obviously frankincense. It like chemotaxis is the big process that I know that that Boswellia is very good okay. for. That's why actually Boswellia has actually got some massive benefits to something like SIBO. So chemotaxis mm. is the migration and proliferation of bacteria into the wrong location of the gastrointestinal tract, which is obviously what SIBO is. Mm-hmm. So really effective at inhibiting the chemotaxis process. So that's, mm-hmm. but it's definitely got some antimicrobial properties, whether it, um, inhibits this, the, the cellular replication. I Look, I, I know colloidal silver to be one of the most effective yep. at doing that. Yep. Um, it's also got a, a little bit of like biofilm disrupting properties yeah. as well. Yeah, it does. And obviously, you know, um, they use colloidal silver. They use it for wound healing and, and obviously very effective against yeast and candida. So well, I think part of the benefit for the wound healing, isn't that because of the biofilm actually? You might be right on that. Yeah. So like, they, they you know, they've used it for, I mean, for a long time, like many yeah. centuries, as far as I understand. So yeah. it's been around for a long time and they used to use it for its antibacterial properties and the wound healing. They used it topically quite often. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was probably one of those ones that I was never like big on, but when you mm. actually, when you start to understand that, that, that aspect of what I'm talking about, like, like stopping the cellular replication, that's huge. That's actually huge. And the good thing about like uh, colloidal silver, it's, it's pretty easy to take. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, because it just takes like, you know, sort of metallic water yep. okay? and it's not that invasive. So, um, you know, you just take it off the spoon. A lot of the time, yep. you, just, you know, if, if you are dosing a little bit higher, it might be anywhere from one teaspoon, you know, three to five times a day. And the other big thing is it, it just doesn't wipe out your good bacteria. So there's, mm. there's, there's no collateral damage with it. And that's what I'd say safeguard. Mm. because it doesn't wipe out your lactobacillus and it doesn't wipe out your bifidobacterium. I know you've done a lot of research around this and some of the ones that we have spoken about, like mm. berberine, there's a bit of collateral damage there. Yeah. Oregano oil, definitely some collateral <laughs> damage there. I mean, obviously not in the realms of like something like antibiotics, yeah. okay? but they do have some collateral damage. You don't get that with colloidal silver. So it's safeguard. Like if you don't really know what's going on, you want to use something as safeguard, that's a safeguard antimicrobial. And then I, the other one I'd chuck in there is pomegranate husk. I know mm. we, you know, we, we, we speak about this one. You were definitely the one that introduced me to pomegranate husk from an antimicrobial perspective. Mm. And the good thing is it's, it's very diverse. So it does yeah. work. I'm not saying it's the most potent antimicrobial, yeah. but it definitely does work against negative gram bacteria. It works against candida and yeast. So it makes it quite broad. Yeah. But once again, it doesn't wipe out your, your beneficial flora. So it doesn't yeah. wipe out the lactobacillus, the bifidobacterium, and then you get the hormonal benefits. Okay, so it actually increases salivary testosterone by 24%. It's got some benefits to progesterone and it actually does actually help to regulate estrogen as well. So you, you look at it and I just say, that's another safeguard one. Yeah. And the other one that 
we would use for like H. pylori. And once again, I know you've done a lot of research on this, so you might want to add some things, but you know, black seed oil, okay. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's quite safe. There's very little collateral damage to your beneficial flora. And also it's got massive benefits to your thyroid because mm -hmm. they've actually used it to lower thyroid antibodies. So things like TPO and they've used it to actually even lower excessively high TSH, thyroid stimulating mm -hmm. hormone. Yeah. And I've actually used it and the, and the results from that perspective have been phenomenal. And, and then black seed oil is very effective against H. pylori, which is a negative gram bacteria overgrowth within the stomach lining. But once again, it doesn't mean H. pylori is the devil. We always got to mm. clarify that. Mm. So those ones, and I'll, I'll probably there'd be some more in there, but I would say those put, ones- I would put MCT oil in there personally. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Capillic acid, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm a big fan of MCT. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I guess very similar to what we said about these other ones, it tends to be have a bit of action against negative gram bacteria and and, and yeast and and you know different even um, you know fungal issues and and to a small extent parasites as well. So it's one of those ones where it's not incredibly potent. There's not going to be this huge amount of collateral damage, but you know you're getting this sort of broad acting gentle antimicrobial it's got anti-biofilm properties there i know you know you've talked a lot about how effective it is against yeast biofilms so it's just sort of multifaceted and again not doing a whole lot of damage well the, the interesting thing they've found with yeast cells with uh, capillic acid and and i would say for a lot of yeast that if you do sensitivity testing capillic acid always comes out as one of the, the highest yeah. sensitivity from my experience but they actually found with the with the yeast cell that you've got what they call the, the chidium membrane. And what the, the caprylic acid does is puncture holes in the chidium membrane. Mm. And so then the fluid from the yeast cell leaks out mm. from the cytoplasm. And then that allows you to sort of like mop up that the fluid coming out of the yeast cells. So mm. that's essentially how it works against something like, like candida and yeast. But yes, like, you know, being a saturated fat. So you can use MCT oil, you can use like coconut oil. Okay, because it's got the caprylic acid, which is antifungal, but it's also punctures holes in biofilm as well. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think caprylic acid does definitely fall into that category where there's not a lot of collateral damage. It's got all these other benefits. So, yeah, I think that's a good one as well. Mm. And there are ones, like I know for me, I use these a lot if people have done like excessive amounts of antibiotics. I, someone I spoke to just before, he's done over 100 courses of antibiotics. You know, maybe they do a stool test and you can see lactobacillus is low, bifidobacterium is low, acomancia is low. And in that instance, even if they've got symptoms of SIBO or even if they've got symptoms of, of yeast or candida, it's probably not the best idea to use an oregano and use a berberry and, and use some of these real potent antimicrobials, the GAC, which we've not talked about yet. But that's a, a, an example where maybe you do just want to use a pomegranate husk or you do want to use MCT or, or black seed or, you know, if they've got Hashimoto's as well. So you don't always need to go for the most aggressive option for that thing that that person's got. You know, you, you need to use a little bit of logic there as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that that's the sort of category that I would say is like the the safeguard ones. And then, you you know, you're not going to disturb your, your beneficial flora and also you're going to get all these positive effects that we're talking about yeah. and uh, once again if you don't have a lot of information you're always going to be better to go for that safeguard approach it's really yeah. important to understand that yeah so anything else yeast wise i know most of the ones we cover i mean we could, we, we could probably cover it in the negative gram bacteria because like like obviously i want to get onto negative gram bacteria yeah yeah clearly. go for okay. it i know i'm holding you back don't let me hold you back well because i think it. you know i think one of these covers like yeast and candida and even yep. things like cfo as well and i think you know which one i'm going to talk uh, about yes and and it is GSE. There's yep. obviously a lot of 
conflicting, you know, conflicting information when it comes to grapefruit seed extract. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, and obviously it's not generally the favorite of like naturopaths and functional mm. medicine doctors. I, I, you know, and once again, it's just my opinion. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm sure Jake will share his opinion. I don't necessarily go down the, the same realms as them. I, yep. I think it's, uh, I think it's highly effective. If you're talking about sensitivity testing, I've never seen any antimicrobial, even when I've used it with clients and it still comes out as the highest sensitivity, even if you've used it frequently. Mm-hmm. So you know, they've done a lot of testing with grapefruit seed extract, obviously around in the medical realms with things like UTIs, so urinary tract infections. So it is used to actually help with those things. And obviously one of the major culprits behind that is proteobacteria and negative mm-hmm. gram bacteria. So highly effective for that, but they've actually, even in research, they actually found that grapefruit seed extract was effective against skin issues like eczema. Now, obviously that's because of the is impact that of the that's a good question, actually. It would actually. Maybe it might be effective topically. I've never used it was... topically, but I wouldn't at yeah. all be surprised because, I mean, I use colloidal silver topically. Yeah, like if you, 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 if you, obviously, if you dilute in a little bit of water, yeah. I, I, I could definitely see how it would work topically as well. I mean, yeah. I know with infants, like I've used, you know, on the on the base of their feet and you actually dilute it in a little bit of water, okay? You know, you can do that with oregano oil. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, you know, you the, the, the dilution and then actually using it topically. I mean, I guess that could be a possibility. But, you know, obviously, I, I guess where a lot of the negative aspects, and I know that you've talked about this, is really to do with the quality of the grapefruit seed extract. Yeah. And isn't it to do with like uh, benzethronium? Benzethronium or... You know, some chemical compounds, I, I think that's it. Yeah, okay. And uh, triclosan or something like that. These these chemical compounds are the ones that where there can be some safety yeah. issues. But that's, once again, to do with the quality of the grapefruit seed extract. Okay. It yeah. doesn't, like, if we get a good quality grapefruit seed extract, then you're not, you're not going to face the types of complications. And, they actually, you know, they actually found that grapefruit seed extract is effective against anywhere up to 700 to 800 different bacteria strains i mean that makes it basically it's like the it's like nature's antibiotic mm. you know and effective against candida albicans strains okay so that means it's effective against yeast mm. so it's very diverse and you know the one thing is there's a bit of collateral damage there so it can definitely wipe out your lactobacillus and you actually found from a scale perspective mm. out of all the herbal based ones it can have a a little bit more collateral damage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it can wipe out your lactobacillus and your bifidobacterium. But if we're going to go, if they, if the person doesn't really have a lot of issues around that, and you want you want to go for something that's got some serious bang for your buck, I just don't think you can go past grapefruit seed extract there, as long as it's good quality. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything else to add there. Really, I mean, like you said, it's something you need to be aware of. It is super potent, but <laughs> it's not like. It's not like we're using it with people and then doing stool tests and everything's coming back, you know, undetectable, you know, like there's no lacto, there's no bifido, there's no acumen, like that's not happening. So obviously it is something that people are a little bit cautious with using, but from what we've seen anecdotally in clients, yeah, you want to be cautious, but sometimes it does have, um, it does have utility. You know, sometimes it, you do need something which is really potent. Yeah. And the other one would be Uversi. They, they call it bearberry. And um, the thing I like about Uber Ursi, it's got some other benefits. And once again, I'm always going to look at that multifaceted aspect. And they're actually shown once again, they've used it for helping people with urinary tract infections. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely, 
uh, think they've actually recorded it helping with bacteria in the urine directly. But it's very also like you actually look at a lot of like heavy metal support supplements and they tend to have like Uva Ursi in there. Yeah. So it's got some benefits for heavy metal clearance as well. You know, that could be relevant, but it's also got some anti-cancer properties. So they've actually found it can be, uh, you know, potentially supportive around things like breast cancer. And I'm not saying cures these things, but they've done some research around it, you know, colon cancer and prostate cancer as well. And I would say it's one that I, I, I do tend to find it comes out pretty high in the sensitivity mainly for, for negative gram bacteria. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of those ones that's highly effective against like candida and yeast mm. from my experience. I'm not saying it's not at all, but, um, but from my experience, it tends to be a little bit more dominant around negative gram bacteria. Have you noticed, just you maybe think about it when you're talking about the other benefits of Viva Ursi. With GSE, I've used that with clients before and they've noticed a significant change in energy when they're taking it. And I've assumed that it's probably due to the antioxidant component of the GAC. If you notice that with people, is that something you know about? I've definitely seen like a vast improvement in like, you know, it's almost like a light bulb goes off in their head. I mean, I think whether that's coming about from what you're talking about there with the antioxidant properties and so forth, or whether it's that they're obviously making inroads into the, well, that's what I would assume. What I've even noticed is because I often rotate it because it is so potent. I know you do the same. And, and I've, I've noticed with clients on weeks when they're using it, not everyone, but some clients on weeks when they're using it, they've noticed their energy is higher, mental clarity is higher, and weeks where they're not using it and they're using something else and not feeling that same clarity. So I just wondered if that was something you'd, you'd seen at all. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you can definitely notice an improvement in energy with antimicrobials, like, mm -hmm. you know, because you obviously are getting rid of the, the bacterial problems and of course they're going to well initially there's going to probably be a you know a bit of a decrease yeah. in, in their energy systems i'm not taking away from that but then over time there's there's going to be a vast improvement in energy capacity and things like atp mm. that's for sure mm. so h pylori so you mentioned which one did we cover so far of h pylori there's one we've talked well about, we talked oh, about sort of like yeah we, we 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 talked about black seed oil i mean look when it comes look your oregano has been well documented. I said yeah. like Allison's got some benefits there. We've already, you know, covered these ones. And the one that, you know, it's not, you wouldn't, would you classify it as a true antimicrobial? It's probably not a true antimicrobial. It's classified as a resin, but I mean, mastic gum has got some huge benefits against mm. H. pylori. And people got to bear in mind, like, you know, we're not going to be able to talk about every single thing here, but even things like anything that helps with bile, I mean, like, and bile mm. salts, that's got antimicrobial properties. So you say things like tudka, ox bile, these types of things, Swedish bitters has actually got benefits from an antimicrobial perspective because it's botanicals, it's got plant tannins in there. You know, green tea's got plant tannins, so that's actually got some antimicrobial benefits. Mm. Like green tea is actually really good against H. pylori. I'm not saying they're the most potent. Does that make sense? But some of these other things. Um, what about curcumin? Have you seen that? I've seen some literature on curcumin and H. pylori. Yeah, look, it's not. It, look, look, it wouldn't surprise me if it's got some, like it's it's definitely got benefits for the paratel cells, mm -hmm. uh, which is a major type of epithelium within the gastric pits and the stomach lining. And anything that's going to help with the paratel cells is obviously going to have a knock-on effect to things like gastric acid and hydrochloric acid. And then that, you know, if anything improves hydrochloric acid, that's going to have a benefit to H. pylori. Yeah. So I think that's where the benefit would come would be mm -hmm. coming from, and even some like some of the other things that we use, like quercetin, it's got some yeah, antiviral but also antibacterial benefits. Even like goat's colostrum because it's got lysozymes in there, and lysozymes obviously got biofilm 
you know, biofilm properties. So it's almost like some of these things that we use that are more for maybe the gut lining and so forth, but they've also got some indirect antimicrobial benefits, like even some like zinc L-carnosine would be a great example of that as well, because it was actually designed to actually help, yes, with peptic ulcers, but it also helped with H. pyloric. So it's not the ones that, you know, get commonly talked about when it comes yep. to antimicrobials because they're not direct antimicrobials, but it doesn't mean they haven't got benefits around that. Yeah, definitely. Parasites. Parasites. This is, you know, would this be the one that we have some conflicting things? Probably not, to be honest. Um, I, but think I, was thinking, I think I was thinking more was like the MCT and the caprylic acid, but maybe, <laughs> maybe we don't disagree as much as I thought. Yeah, I don't think so. But uh, like Powdiarco, is, well, that, that's definitely got some benefits, obviously around candida and yeast as well. Yeah. Um, it's got like two compounds that are very good against even like viruses and parasites and, and obviously yeast candida. I think it's called Lapicol and beta lapicone or something like that. So th- those are the compounds that are very, very effective against parasites and so forth. And um but also I like powdiarco. I, look, I can use it as a tea as well. Mm. It can be, it's not as potent, but again, mm. but it's still got some benefits there and actually helps with the NF, NRF2 gene. So it actually helps with some detoxification mm. as well. And that means it's probably got some uh, knock-on knock on effects to actually helping with heavy metal clearance. So I think powdiarco can, can be good in that realm. So I think sweet wormwood is actually the one that's probably the most beneficial against protozoal parasites. From, from, and you can actually see this in a lot of research as well. And sweet wormwood, as I said, it's probably got some benefits with SIBO as well. And actually, this is, you know, just a bit of good information is uh, it's actually sweet wormwood, sweet wormwood is what you find in absinthe, believe it or not. Yeah. Like I've, you know, back in my drinking days, but definitely, you know, when I was in Czech Republic, I had a lot of absinthe. So maybe I felt pretty terrible because I was having sweet wormwood. <laughs> yeah, <it hurts>. uh, <laughs> Um, but you also, it's the major compound they actually find in malaria tablets and, and malaria is classified as a parasite. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and it's probably the major compound within the malaria tablet is actually working. So, mm-hmm. and they've actually even done research with sweet wormwood around Crohn's actually helping with Crohn's treatment. I'm not saying it's the most effective, but there's definitely been some documentation around that as well. And from my experience, just to let you know, once again, it's just my experience, but I'm sure Jake would back me up on this, um, antibiotics just do not work very well against parasites you know like i've had some people that have taken like crazy like you know five courses of antibiotics to try and get rid of the parasite and then i've looked at their bloods and gone i think you still got the parasite and sure enough we they go no i think we got rid of it and i go (laughs) well let's let's do a test to find out and we check parasitology and they've got they've still got a protozoal parasite yeah and the other one i might chuck in there is black walnut black walnut's interesting because that's pretty multifaceted i would say mm. as well mm. it's got small amounts of ala which is alpha linoleic acid which is omega-3 fatty acid it's very small concentrations in there but black walnuts also actually inhibits like three enzymes to do with h pylori so it's got actually some benefits against h pylori as well and black walnut is actually something that they put in a lot of blends so you would say that it's uh can be uh, a good mop-up that's what i would say but i wouldn't say it's necessary by itself going to be highly effective against protozoa parasites from my experience i would say sweet wormwood is that is going to have the most bang for your buck mm-hmm. i use black walnut a little bit with yeast as well again not by itself but I, I do add it in and you can often get combos that have black walnut sweet wormwood and often clove as well um and that's Clove's very potent just uh and obviously yeah. they use you know um you know, there's lots of antimicrobials that we haven't talked about. I mean, clove can be very effective in the mouth. Even ginger 
is good for bacteria that causes yeah. like gum inflammation and so forth. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot more that we haven't talked about. I but... swear by clove. I I never really thought twice about it. I never used it with anyone. I remember you had talked to me about it a few times and I got this real bad wisdom tooth infection. Like I was meant to get my wisdom teeth there. I just didn't. And then I used clove and it was like a full blown infection. I couldn't like swallow, couldn't do anything. And within like, I reckon within two days, my infection was gone just from using clove oil. Yeah. I mean, it, it is highly potent. I mean, it, there can be a bit of collateral damage there. That's for sure. Mm. And also bear in mind, they actually use clove to actually help with teething. Yeah. With toddlers. So you can actually use it as a, a pretty powerful, like numbing. Yeah. As well. Just make your whole mouth go numb. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that can be a good combo. And then mimosa pudica, I know that's that's probably one that you're not massive on. Well, it's just that, like, look, you know, probably you can elaborate on it a little bit more. And you're the one that has actually talked about it with me a little bit more recently. So it's not necessarily one that I'm against. It's just not one that I necessarily use. So mm. I maybe just want to touch on it briefly. Just so Yeah, I mean, it acts it a little bit differently. Hey, like it acts a bit more, almost like a binder in a sense. Like the, the idea is it's actually helping... Um, like uh, eliminate as opposed to kill off, but it's actually like sticking to parasites and, and to eggs and, and helping sort of physically remove them in, in that sort of manner. So it's one that I um I often like adding that in combination with a black walnut and a sweet wormwood, maybe an oregano oil or a berberine. So it's not really doing like the the leg work of killing things off per se, but it's doing more. And it's and there's some other benefits there around the gut lining. It's not like causing the same kind of collateral damage as things like GAC and oregano oil. So there's a few other benefits to it, but it is one that I haven't seen a whole stack of literature on it, but I've just sort of seen a lot of more old school functional medicine doctors and naturopaths swear by it. And I've started to see some pretty good results with it so far. Yeah. Look, I'll definitely start doing some research on it and see, see if it might be a good antimicrobial to, to add to the list, mate. Um, and berberine, how, how do you use, is that something you use in a, a parasite protocol or you're not so big on it there? Look, I haven't seen a lot of documentation or research. It's not to say that it's not effective, um, but I haven't necessarily seen a lot of research to say, to say how effective it is against mm-hmm. like protozoal parasites. But once again, I've that doesn't necessarily... I've seen some good stuff with Giardia. I haven't seen yeah. with Blasto per se, but with Giardia, there's some really compelling stuff using it. Yeah, it's not to say that it's not effective because obviously with a lot of these antimicrobials, we're learning more and more all the day, yeah. uh, like like every single day. So, yeah. and in the future, we might find that yes, berberine is something that's highly effective <laughs> against protozoa parasites. And I'm like, like people just need to understand that I'm willing to accept that you know my approach and and what we're talking about here. We might do another podcast on this in a year's time, yeah. and then we might actually end up talking about a whole yep. heap of different types of antimicrobials, all the same antimicrobials in a different way. Yep. Yep. That's a good point. I know that's happened so far. There's some, even um, even some we've talked about today where we're using them now for things that maybe we didn't use to use them for. Maybe we used to use them for candida. Now we use them for both candida and bacteria or whatever. So like you said, there's more literature that comes out and this is more experience that people have with, with, you know, patients and clients, and then we adapt. So this is yeah, a, the, bur- the berberine was a great example of that because we, you know, we thought that it wasn't one of the most effective things for SIBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then based on experience and based on what we're seeing, we're actually finding that it is actually one of the most effective, even though once again, the data and the research is not necessarily supportive of that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we just got to go on what we, what we know actually works. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So obviously we need to say don't jump out there and get all these antimicrobials and have them and stay on them and live on them and have them for the next six years, yeah? So this is something that you need to be doing under supervision of someone who knows how to dose these properly, how to combine these properly, how long to do these for. Um, you know, the, the last thing that Dave and I would want is for someone to come to us and be like, oh, we've been taking, I've been taking oregano oil for the last year. Because that means A, it's not going to be effective. B, it means we can't, we're not going to use antimicrobials with you, even if <laughs> you look like you've got some dysbiotic state because you've just slammed your gut microbiome and now we're going to have to do more restoration type work. So, <laughs> you know, take what we're saying, um, you know, logically and, you know, don't sort of abuse some of the things we've just talked about. This is just tools in your toolbox, but you have to be logical to how, how you take this information. Yeah. Don't take them for a prolonged period of time. I mean, you can even see that in the literature, like even something yeah. like Uber Ursi would say that, even though it's got all these multifaceted benefits, don't take it for a prolonged period of, periods of time. And if you are going to use something, I'd go for something a little bit more safeguard. Yeah. That's probably like, you know, the major thing until you really understand what is fully going on. Yeah. And that's what we would do with our clients as well. If we don't know what's going on, we're going to use something safeguard like a pomegranate or, or one of the safeguard ones we talked about until we know what it is we're dealing with. So you guys can uh, take that, that bit of information as well. 100%. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. We'll uh, see you guys next time and, and chat to you guys next time. And, and <laughs> we might, like you said, we might have a whole new list of antimicrobials for you guys in the future. But for now, hopefully that gives you guys some tools to use going forwards. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.